Welcome to Greyhounds Make Great Pets with Rory Goray, TJ Beter, and Kathy Goray. Each week, we talk about the connections between owners and their pets with an emphasis on topics that apply to greyhounds. If you want to hear more about your best friend, stay tuned. Now, here are your hosts. Happy National Raspberry Cake Day. Yum. Seriously, it's National Raspberry Cake Day. And it's also Friday! And time for another exceptional edition of Greyhounds Make Great Pets. Did you know you can like and follow Greyhounds Make Great Pets? And that's spelled G-R-E-A-T... Because anything else is just not so great. Uh, 24-7 on Facebook and on Twitter, where we're known as GMGP Inc. And on Instagram, where we can be found at GMGP3. And if you don't know, now you know, Mr. President. I hope our listeners are ready for today's show. I know the plucky GMGP crew is ready and raring to go. Our guest is Dr. Maury Craig, who is the co-author of Care of the Racing and Retired Greyhound, which is the health care and medical book you need to have if you have adopted a retired racing greyhound. Today, we'll be discussing how Dr. Craig catches cheaters in animal sports. Hold on, I'm out of here. Should have done that before we started. And the drug testing programs he has created, which are aimed at reducing and hopefully eliminating cheating in racing sports. His many decades of experience and research have been vital to the greyhound racing industry, Iditarod sled dog races, and homing pigeon racing. i got to hear more about that one. (laughs) And if time allows, we will also explore Dr. Craig's participation in an ongoing project as a consultant in Kuwait to clean up the toxin residue of Desert Storm and Desert Shield. So without further ado and my babbling, here are your... Oh, okay. Wait a minute. We're missing someone today. So right now, here is my co-host, Rory Gray. Howdy. Hi. Um, TJ is missing on the highway somewhere. Missing on the highway, but yeah. she, hopefully maybe she'll give us a call here shortly. If uh, not, we, we've got the... we, we got a soldier on. We're, we're manning the fort here. hate when <clears> the <throat> phones don't connect well. <laughs> All righty. Um, but just as a reminder, uh, today's Greyhounds Make Great Pets show is for entertainment purposes only. Any other use than for personal entertainment requires written permission of Voice America, Greyhound Pets of America, Greyhounds Make Great Pets, and... Rory Escarate, that would be me. Is it really? Yeah. Are you sure? Mm-hmm. All righty. So I, th- I think we should just jump right into this because I, I think there's a lot to talk about today. Correct. Uh, oh, uh, one more thing before we okay. begin. Um, if any of our listeners would like to call us, our phone lines are always open. And you can give us a call and ask Dr. Craig a question or Rory or I if you're really that nosy. Uh, our phone lines are 866 47257 Eight seven or five seven eight eight, and now I would like to welcome Dr. Maury Craig to Greyhounds Make Great Pets. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. How are we doing there today? <laughs> it's a beautiful day out here in Oregon, and uh, an absolutely wonderful uh, weather. So, um, you're just trying to make <laughs> us jealous here in Arizona. We're just uh, icky. I, <laughs> I understand, and um, just to um, just to put drug testing in a balanced position, it's really to make a level playing field for a hundred years in horse racing and in other sports. Um, people have been looking for shortcuts, and uh, drugs have been one of the, the shortcuts, rather than hard work and good deeds. And and this job is to make a level playing field for all participants in whatever sport we're talking about. Right. And you, as you know, uh, maybe some of our listeners know, and if you don't know, you will now know. I'm also, I'm a regulator overseeing um, horse and um, dog racing. And I'm always asked, why is there regulation? And it's like, well, the main thing is because you have the paramutual wagering going on, and there's always going to be somebody trying to cheat the system, and that's why you have us regulators. And in fact, um, you, we could go way back to the turn of the century when 
they were um, using stimulants and getting horses to race faster. But if we just took the modern state, Ben Johnson was an Olympic um, sprinter. And um, you had to, I have shown pictures before, and they came from the uh, L.A. uh, pathologist that looked at it, of Ben Johnson before he took um, anabolic steroids. Um, and one year after he took it, and you could just see the amount of muscling up and and uh, build up that they had uh, in that individual. And in fact, he did run the race. Um, I think about point three to point four seconds faster than he had ever done before uh, without anabolic steroids. And and as you know, a, a hundred yard dash is less than 10 seconds, but it's basically a 10-second race. Wow. Hmm. And now the, the, that kind of steroid usage, uh, what type of permanent damage would it cause to a human, let alone an animal? Yes. So we can go back to humans. So in football, a lot of anabolic steroids have been used, and, and you've seen brain tumors come and other... Um, carcinogenic effects coming several years after using anabolic steroids for building up and often that was used in high school and then in college until this started sort of coming to a focus and of course we know the celebrated cases in baseball where where McGuire was hitting more home runs than ever before and was using uh, anabolic steroids we know the Lance Armstrong story where he was very carefully using anabolic steroids and and um, could climb mountains faster and just have more strength than the uh, other competitors with it. And that was some of the whole American team at that particular point. Sad, but that was one of the realities we deal with. And we've known the swimmers from... Um, We've known the swimmers from China that um, were sort of breaking and the Russian uh, competitors that are doing that. We've known about blood doping, which is another aspect of it. And, of course, greyhounds in this last 2016-17 have had the cocaine crisis, if you want to call it that. But I'm sure we'll get into that later today. I think so. (laughs) Oh, yeah, definitely. I I just wrote down cocaine on my... um, piece of paper here. <laughs> uh, oh, but, is Eric Clapton going to be on later? <laughs> but you, you did bring up um, Lance Armstrong, and I, I know also myself as a regulator um, that equipment, the lab equipment that we're using today is uh, much more, it's better than it was years ago and can and detect minute um, stuff that it wasn't able to years ago. So I, I would like you to maybe tell us a little bit about the history of the equipment, and then my question would be is, today, if Lamp, Lance Armstrong was doing what he did back then, would he have a more likelihood of getting caught today because of the newer equipment? Um, the answer is yes, and I don't know how detailed an answer to give you. Go but ahead. I think I'd like to, <laughs> and you can stop me if I go too deep into science, but um, back in the 70s and 80s, they used thin layer chromatography, and and that's the sort of thing we did in high school or even elementary school when we took Indian can put a Scott towel down into it, and suddenly the India black India ink turned into a red and a green and a blue color as it went up the thin layer chromatography. That was the first real good drug testing system that was put together and that was put together somewhere in the 40s, 50s, 60s and 70s. Then we have better and it's called chromatography methods that really came into service um, and those came in in the 70s and 80s and there was ELISA um, and then there was gas chromatography mass spec and I'm going to jump way forward now into the 2000s and 2010s and now there's liquid chromatography mass spec mass spec triple quad mass spec it's um, often called 
And we are now looking at 10 to the minus 9th to 10 to the minus 11th parts per billion. And many of these real effective drugs work at that particular level. So your simple question was, could could a group get around what they could 10 years ago when Lance Armstrong was doing um, both blood doping and and uh, anabolic steroids, the answer is they can quantitate that so much better now that likely the answer is no. So, um, but we're going to get into more of that as time goes along. But we have gone from 10 to the minus 6th detection, which we thought was great at that time, to 10 to the minus 9th, 10th, and 11th. And many of the drugs that are used, fentanyl type of drugs, et cetera, are effective at 10 to the minus ninth uh, levels. And so we're now down to the physiological testing, which um, is much more, one, accurate and much more sensitive. Wow. Now, can uh, these drugs improve performance? And if yes, I mean, how, how do you test for that? How, how can you say, well, your performance was altered to this degree because of the drugs or the stimulants or, or whatever you were on? So I have to give you two different answers. Okay. <laughs> there, have not, there have been just a couple of different types of functional scientific um, methods to detect improvement. And then there has been the general statement that is made by those people who are in testing and have watched times decrease and what have you. So if I talked about the general part to give you a ballpark that improves performance by 10 to 20 percent, depending on how it's used and what drug it is. So um, that's so you can't take an old suffer like myself and make him suddenly into an Olympic athlete. You have to take someone who has to be an Olympic athlete, kind of, but then they want a, an additional boost. And so that's, that is one sort of story. Now, there are t- two different types of functional assays. There's this stepping test, and this has been done by Kentucky and that group. And then there's the functional test, which is built on mathematics and what have you, and that was done by the group of us out at Oregon State. And it really started with the caffeine procaine study. And if we go back into Greyhound testing, 15 years ago, there were a lot of procaine positive. It was... They were still just going to Elisa's and thin layer, from thin layer chromatography, and they were picking up this procaine. And so there were a number of Greyhound trainers that were picked up with procaine. Well, uh, a Dr. Suncliffe out of Florida discovered that it really was because they were being fed meat uh, from cattle that were given procaine penicillin shots, and it happened to be exactly about the same dosage you'd have if you wanted to do a ring block. But the question then came, does procaine really make an animal run faster? And of course, we're going to talk about cocaine, you know, one of the canes, and this is procaine that we're talking about here. So we put together a functional model 10 years, 15 years ago, where we ran six dogs on the drug six dogs off the drugs, so there were 12 dogs all together. Then we flipped them back and forth so that the ones that were on the drug got cleaned up and then um, ran clean. And so every dog acted as its own control. And could that individual dog, so we had basically 12 dogs there, sometimes on a drug, sometimes not on a drug. So our first was to see if we could make a difference. So we used caffeine as um, as our... um, first example, and caffeine made in our sprint of the greyhounds, the dogs run 0.25 seconds faster than that same dog would without caffeine. Wow. Now, you had to have the right dose of caffeine because we tried higher doses of caffeine and they basically washed them out. Huh. So you had to be a pretty good pharmacologist or chemist to know exactly the right dose to put in there. And then 
in truth, when the dogs go into the jenny pit and, and, and get ready for a race, they're there an hour, and the caffeine sort of wears off on them by that particular time. So it, it only asks for a while. And you, you, we know that as humans. We need that caffeine to get going in the morning. Oh, yes, but, sir. You know, by 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock, we need another caffeine dose yes. somewhere along the line. Now, when you were uh, regarding this caffeine that, that was given in the testing, were, was it um, chemically in, in introduced to the dogs or were they just sipping a cup of gel? So we were giving them no-dose tablets, so that's 100 milligrams. Okay. But when we gave them several no-dose tablets, uh, that washed them out. And I actually hadn't finished the story. So the story was, and the real question was, did procaine make a difference? And so we then did this same experiment, now that we saw that caffeine did make a difference and would last for a while, um, did procaine make a difference? Procaine made no difference in performance. So your simple question that you asked before of scientists was, do drugs make a difference in performance? Yes, they do. Um, it is felt by those people who are pretty knowledgeable with respect to it, they can make 10 to 20% difference. It is shown that some um, drugs, caffeine particularly, can uh, have a fast acting um, part to it. And I'm going to zig on you for a second here. In Ireland, it is legal to give a cup of tea, which is usually about 80 milligrams, not 100 milligrams, but 80 milligrams of caffeine. But all the participants can do that because it's sort of traditional. So it's a level playing field in the final analysis because it's a very open use of caffeine. And caffeine, of course, is a very common drug, so to speak, um, substance in our Western society and in, in, mm. in the whole world. Right. Yeah. yeah, I had my Americano on the way here this morning. There you go. It, it, it kind of reminds me of my first time I ever visited uh, track, and I was allowed to go back to with where the Jenny Pit is and where the vet was checking the dogs and all that. And I, I came walking in with a cup of coffee, and immediately they're screaming out at me to get that out of there. And I was like, what? And I, I didn't. I didn't know at the time, but yeah, they, you know, that was one of the things that was that was not allowed in that area was anyone with uh, um, something that would have caffeine in it. And of course, that's been a problem in both horse race and greyhound. Is that human use has got into the cup at times? I can tell you a funny story, uh, and this happens to be in horses. And they should have picked it up because horses, as you know, have these calcium um, carbonate kind of uh, flakes in the bottom of the urine. But somebody was trying to collect a horse urine and didn't, um, didn't want to wait any longer, and the horse wasn't going to urinate. And so they peed in the, <laughs> in the cup, and they had been taking uh, a cocaine, <laughs> as I understand it. Um, and so it ended up with a cocaine positive. And at that particular point, you know, they had to go back and find out why this horse, and it was from a, an elderly lady who they were just sure wouldn't be using drugs. So they went back and, and checked on that. And I, we had another interesting case out here that I'll tell you later uh, in, the, in the program with respect to hordenine, which is another cardiac stimulant, but can be found from natural products coming through. And, and our racing commission asked myself and Dr. Blythe to sort of investigate this one a number of years ago. And it's another story that kind of goes on this way. Um, <laughs> go for your next question. Well, no, I was, I, I, with, with your story, uh, I did hear of a, several years ago of a, a horse that had popped positive for cocaine. And the excuse ended up being that I guess one of the trainers was doing cocaine himself and had gone into the back of the stall and, and pissed all over the hay. And the, and the horse ate it. That, that was his excuse. <laughs> Very creative. But, but it is a good reminder because I know um, in the last couple of years, we've all heard the stories about the cocaine positives in, in Florida. And I do want to remind everyone 
that just stop and wait, let the process take its place, let the investigation take place, let them find out what really happened. There are some people, especially some group from Massachusetts that likes to immediately go running out there like, oh, cocaine, cocaine, cocaine. They don't even know the facts or anything themselves yet. So just stop and wait. Rory, can I add a little bit to your, uh, and we will do, we will talk more about the cocaine down yeah. there. The new techniques, this new triple quad mass spec, is able to look at metabolites. So um, you have the principal drug, cocaine, and then you have its metabolites, and they're econine uh, and echodine and norecadine, methyl ester, and other metabolites. Well, there's 11 metabolites for humans, there's four metabolites for dogs, and two of the metabolites are common between humans and dogs, but there's other unique ones for humans. And what happened in Florida is nobody asked the lab to go looking for minor amounts of human metabolites or unique canine metabolites. And so there, so a good lab, and, and you find these in universities, um, can go down and look for these other metabolites and establish where it comes from. And this is forensics toxicology, uh, you know, taken to its strongest order. I mean, we all know NCIS, and we not all <laughs> remember Abby, yep. and Abby had those magic <laughs> instruments that kind of answered those questions. Well, they really do exist nowadays, and and what you'll find is that newspapers will or the news media will want to jump on one or two data points without using science to really rule it in or rule it out. Exactly. And I, I don't know if people understand the process, um, and maybe you can explain this a little bit, that when they, when they do take the test, whether it's a dog, greyhound, or a horse, uh, the sample is split into what they'll call a sample A and sample B. Um, now, I, I believe some points in time the, the samples are sent to two different labs. I believe sometimes it's sent to the same lab. But if one sample pops, they then test the other. Is that correct? Um, so, yes. Can I go back and enumerate? And I'm yeah. sorry if I bore the audience. Oh, no. So oh, no, you're not. Ba- not at all. Basically, <laughs> you know, there's and I'm going to be an averaging, there's 10 races a night. And, and, us- and that's whether it's horses on a card or dogs. There's usually, you know, five to 10 dogs or horses racing. And usually the stewards are the ones who, you know, are making sure, are overseeing the dogs coming out of um, their kennels, you know, and going into a staging area, Jenny Pitt, and then getting ready to race, and then they uh, basically race every so many minutes, you know, one after another. Yeah. So usually the steward will pick the first place, the second place, and the steward's choice. So if a dog has come up real fast or gone down real fast, that's his ability to pick which dogs have urines. So basically, if you think of 10 races, three urines per race, you'll think about 30 urines going in each night to this lab, and they'll be shipped, they'll be frozen and shipped overnight to the lab. The lab the next morning will go through these 30 urines from this uh, uh, individual race, and they have a screening technique, and that screening technique now it used to be this thin layer chromatography, but now it's turned into this triple quad mass spec. And so they get an idea of, and and each screen takes about uh, either a half an hour to an hour, depending on how long the run goes. So, so they've got a couple of three instruments just running continuously these urines. If they come up with a peak, that is around certain areas, then they take that urine and go back and confirm it 
using an MRM technique and they have to have so many peaks and stuff like this that they have to identify and make proof positive and so that they have a pending positive and then they'll come up with a positive. At that particular point, they're usually informing the racetrack or, um, or the steward who has sent these in or the veterinarian who has sent these in, depending on which track it is. And at that particular point, then they go through the consequences, and it usually goes to a board, and there's a discussion, et cetera, usually at the track and what have you. At that particular point, the, the trainer or the owner can turn around and say, I don't believe the data from this first lab. And so they have split that sample when it first came in. And so that lab, and there's about 15 of these labs that are certified for horses and maybe six or seven that are certified for dogs. Um, uh, and I'll get into that a little bit later. But at that particular point, they send it to another certified lab under registered mail, et cetera, and that other lab runs it. If they end up with a, and they run it blind. So if they end up with a positive in the same order, then, then that data goes into the racing commission who's sitting there and saying, did you use such and such a drug? And so that's the, the kind of flavor of what goes on. If, in fact, one lab says yes and the other lab says no, then, then, you know, there's usually eliminated from being called a positive. There's, the, it will belong to the racing commission at that particular point for that particular state or that jurisdiction. Yeah, way to put it all did on I, there. Did I explain <laughs> yeah. that too long? Uh, no, 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 no. The edit, I'm sorry. No, no, no we're, you're Th- fine. This is good, good information, and it will help the people out there listening as they talk to or they battle or talk about it on, on Facebook and other places that they'll have a little better understanding of, of the process. I've seen so many times people respond and it's like, oh, you didn't know what you were talking about and you, you gave a wrong answer. And so having the right information, I think, helps out those who are maybe talking with people who maybe have something against racing. This will help them out. Definitely. And um, we're going to have to take a short break right now, Dr. Craig. Um, I've got a few people texting me questions for you, which we'll address when we come back. But right now, it is time for our turnout here at Greyhounds Make Great Just Pets. so you know, you've been picked for a drug test, so as soon as you're done, uh, re- <laughs> report to the producer's desk. Okay, that's going to be interesting. All right, uh, we're going to take our break right now, and we will be back with more of Dr. Maury Craig. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Join Chris Epting every week for the moment. Chris talks to some of the most amazing people you'll ever meet, including authors, artists, and athletes. And that's just the A-list. These celebrities and public figures have interesting stories that all showcase the moments that their lives took a certain dramatic turn, changing them forever and shaping them to be the person that they were meant to be. Listen for The Moment with Chris Epting, Thursdays at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Want an insider's pass to everything that goes on in Hollywood? Join Summer Helene every week for Behind the Scenes. Summer Helene is known as the Duchess of Hollywood because she knows the insiders, legends, and celebs and brings the stories, the gossip, and the backstage scoop. It's the real Hollywood, though. So this program is for adults only. Behind the Scenes can be heard live every Friday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Looking for the best show about horse racing and handicapping? Want to play the ponies? Join us every week for Winning Ponies with John Englehart, racing's regular guy, where you'll go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, agents, and handicappers in the world of horse racing. This show is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Listen for top plays for the weekend and the spot play of the week and win prizes just for calling in. Winning Ponies with John Englehart is live Thursdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Network. 
Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. GPA, Greyhound Pets of America. We're talking cool greyhounds. Come on down to the GPA, cause the greyhounds need a good place to stay. Great with the kids, cause they love to play down at the GPA. While they've worked so hard, now they need a rest. But when you take one home, you see they're the best. Greyhound Rocket says it on my best. Come and see us at the GPA. Come on down to the GPA. Call 800-366-1472. Or contact greyhoundpets.org. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Greyhounds Make Great Pets with Rory, TJ, and Kathy. To find out more about the show and what we do, please send an email to gmgp3 at yahoo.com. That's gmgp3 at yahoo.com. Now, back to Greyhounds Make Great Pets. Well, our rock horns are up, and welcome back to Greyhounds Make Great Pets. We'll be returning to our conversation with our guest, Dr. Maury Craig, in just a moment. Um, we want to just remind you that if you have any questions for us here, our line is open at 866-472-5787. However, if you're listening to the show on demand, don't call because we're not here, and it's just going to be embarrassing for you. <laughs> now, if you enjoy listening to Greyhounds Make Great Pets, please consider supporting or sponsoring a show or a few. And if you'd like more info about that and our sponsorship levels, you can send us an email at gmgp3 at yahoo.com. Rory, to you. Well, I really hope that people have enjoyed the shows we've uh, been putting out for the last several weeks. And uh, if you would like to keep hearing these shows, yeah, please give us a contact and see how you can either A, contribute or sponsor one of the shows. I also do want to remind everyone today's Greyhounds Make Great Pets show is for entertainment purposes only. And for any other use other than personal entertainment, requires written permission of Voice America, Greyhound Pets of America, Greyhounds Make Great Pets, and Rory Escore, and will probably require your analysis. There you go. Okay, now we're going to let Dr. Maury Craig out of his crate to continue the conversation. Welcome back, Dr. Craig. Well, uh, thank you so much. So I thought maybe since there's been so much controversy in Florida, uh, we should go back to 2016, 2017, and talk about cocaine. Oh, yeah. Sounds good. So, <laughs> so there were, in 2017, there were 71 cases of cocaine um, claimed. And there was a big social brouhaha that, that cocaine was rampant down in the use in greyhounds. When the analysis it came, it really was from at most three kennels and really just one kennel for almost all these 70, I guess there were like 54 cases from this one kennel. Um, and, and the lab in Florida was picking up then a metabolite um, that was uh, echonine uh, from the cocaine and, and claiming it was at particular level. Um, so in the social media, before they ever got to a place where they could determine what was the, 
what was happening, it sound, they made these 71 cases sound like it was in all sorts of kennels, all sorts of places, all over Florida, and all of the, and, and I don't believe I'm overstating this, all of the, you know, um, greyhounds down there were on cocaine, or many of them were. Yeah, they were on the South Beach that, partying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that's so sad because it missed the science of it. Yeah, definitely. And I'm going to go back and say it again. Uh, humans have 11 metabolites, and these new techniques of triple quad mass spec can pick up down to 10 to the minus 11th, even sometimes 10 to the minus 12th concentration. And and greyhounds have four metabolites, or canines have four metabolites, of which two are common to humans, and the one they were picking up was common between both humans and animals. Well, it, that's 2017. Just here in 2019, all the cases have been thrown out because of insufficient bits and pieces of of data at a judge's level and a legal level. However, the problem is, you know, they they in the election in 2000 and I guess early 19 um, or late 2018, they banned racing down in Florida. And um, nobody sat down and asked the lab to see were they human levels. And it turns out that in investigating in this one kennel, there was a, a few users of cocaine um, among the handlers. So it's still left unknown as to where those um, positives for cocaine came out and how they came out. Now, the court has upheld the trainers and sort of said, you know, it wasn't you administering it to the dogs, but all the damage is done at the moment because they lost it in the social media. They should have gone immediately to universities where they could have had some knowledge and asked that question, can you find human metabolites, can you find dog metabolites, and here's the big difference between it, and tried to investigate for that and made it, since it was pretty open in Facebook and, and uh, social media, they should have been countering that social media right from the beginning in order not to have got the majority of the people turning around and saying, oh, this is a, you know, evil sport because it's using drugs, as, as um, it was implied. Right. And, of course, you could go back to Tour de France. They had their own problems. Baseball, they've had their own problems. Mm -hmm. You know, and I'm sure that in the long run, so have greyhounds. However, you know, that doesn't make it a bad sport. The sport is still enjoyed by many people. Exactly. And, that, you know, that's kind of one of the things I find frustrating. Um, and as you know, I, I gave you a call when this stuff was going on in Florida just to kind of get a little education for my own personal satisfaction. But the greyhound racing, we do have some experts. And one of the things I was kind of thinking is I... Why wasn't why weren't they calling upon somebody like yourself and all that to to drum up press releases and to drum up responses, um, op eds, um, you know, to fight this uh, false narrative that is put out by these people in Massachusetts trying to make greyhound racing look bad? We we have that, and that's that is kind of one of my promises if we're able to keep greyhounds make great pets internet radio show going is in the future if something like this comes comes up we have the ability to immediately change up the show on friday and bring on an expert like dr Mari craig and immediately dive into it and start getting some answers well just to sort of add a layer into this they the court system and it took a while the court system brought um uh, Dr. Tom Tobin, who's an excellent um, veterinary toxicologist out of Kentucky. He works a lot with horses, yep. and he wrote up a nice um, story. And in the final analysis, the court understood what Dr. Tobin had, had to say and threw these cases out. And just so if people are looking a little bit to find out what's happening, they can go to the Journal of Analytical Toxicology, um, where they'll find cocaine metabolites in man, 
They can go to um, JAVMA, which is the Journal of American Veterinary Medical Association, and they can see um, some of the stories that were posted in 2018. And um, uh, I think... I think those are the places where they can get some real data. And, of course, we all watch PubMed, if you are familiar with Interest PubMed, but it's a national peer-reviewed um, system that finds publications that are peer-reviewed and that um, have add information into it. This is where I got the 11 metabolites for humans versus the 4 metabolites for dogs. Wow. Um, but that's the sort of thing that needs to come up rather quickly to counter some of the emotional parts which which you know basically say oh yes this is all this is all dirty business all right and just so people know the uh, mouthpiece out of Massachusetts their op-eds and the stuff that they put out is not peer reviewed it's just their personal opinion their hatred towards racing um, and that's a problem. Now, um, Dr. Craig, I, last night I was on a flight here to Phoenix. I was delayed several hours, but I eventually did make it here home uh, 2 o'clock this morning. <laughs> um, and I'm now having to deal with ca uh, caffeine to keep me awake. But uh, there's there's been a lot of talk about the, the differences with the human testing and the, the testing that they do on greyhounds, where there's people that say the humans were allowed up to, I think it's like 150 nanograms. Uh, whereas the greyhounds are allowed zero. Can you elaborate a little bit on that and why there might be that difference, why humans are allowed some but the dogs are not? <laughs> so this gets complicated with respect to um, that answer. And um, different jurisdictions allow different amounts and different groups allow different amounts. So... I'm going to go back for human testing. Remember, if you're a truck driver, you're tested. Yep. If you're a human athlete, whether that's a basketball player, or a football player, or baseball player, you're tested. And so because cocaine is, we have a drug problem. <laughs> Most all of our dollar bills have cocaine on them. Many of the things that we have around have cocaine on it. So it's possible that someone who doesn't even use any drugs whatsoever um, can come up with a cocaine positive with these new sensitive instruments because they're just around it. And it's not that they're using cocaine, it's that the cocaine is prevalent in lots of places. Up on the Iditarod, we had to deal with caffeine because, you know, cokes are there and Cokes can spill into the swill that the dogs are uh. eating, and so they can end up looking like they have a caffeine positive. Of course, we could test them a little bit further down the line, those individual dogs, and um, make sure that they didn't have it a, a second or a third time. So, you know, this is not somebody feeding it to them all the time for performance, but rather it just happened to have been accidental or coming through a food source. Hmm. Um, now, your simple question was, how come it's allowed in human because it's so prevalent there? Dogs, on the other hand, um, they didn't feel that they would be getting anything through the feed, and so um, they want to have a strict limit. And, and so that's kind of how the jurisdictions have looked at it. But it varies from place to place. Florida may have a little bit different um, uh, uh, definition or different levels than, say, Arizona might have or Iowa might have uh, with respect to this. And I'm going to use one more example. In horses, in the Kentucky Derby race and in the Belmont, Lasix is allowed, but when you get up to New York, they want only hay, oats, and water, so you have to take all your animals off that. And that's why we have found in many cases it's real tough to get a triple crown winner uh, because ju different jurisdictions allow or disallow different drugs. Hmm. Do you feel it would be um, safer, healthier, better for those animals involved in sport if these rules and regulations were unified across the country? 
They, there's the RCI, the Racing Commissions International, and they try to do that across the world. But, but every jurisdiction, <laughs> it's sort of like states' rights versus the yeah, federal rights. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and, and oh, go ahead. And so um, they all get together once a year and try to synchronize it as best they can. And to some extent, they do it. And to some extent, there's still examples that aren't done that way. And and that's just because different racing jurisdictions um, have different feels for what they um, want uh, and how they sort of feel their state um, wants to see the use of drugs. And, of course... There is now, in many cases, limitations. They'll accept up to a certain level, but not above another level. And uh, one of those happens to be the Olympics now for bronchial dilators. If you have any, you know, outstanding athlete who has asthma or something like that, they mm-hmm. need to have bronchial dilators, but it can't be above such and such a level because, in fact, it may improve performance, but it has to be below a certain level. Oh, my goodness. Well, and and I think another, it sounds from, you know, how you explain things and and how scientifically things are done. For, let's say me, the pet-owning blonde layman, um, a lot of people, I think, on social media got into areas that they didn't even comprehend so they're discussing facts and or what they perceived as facts whereas a lot of times they were just parroting maybe what they saw two and three people down the line and you know like the phone game it changes every time you post it so <laughs> you know there there really unfortunately should have been some somebody that just threw their hands up when when this whole mess came up with the one kennel and said okay it's got to go to the experts and we have to have a spokesman or or PR and and the response was universal across the board and here's the answer and this is what you go with yeah uh, and you know this has always been a, a point of education and I think the care of the racing and retired greyhound was first one of those steps in education um, getting to people not only what to do with their dogs common injuries but you know how do you treat things and where do drugs come in in that equation and and you can see that's a struggle for for humans and for animals uh, and what to use and what not to use and it's a common discussion that we hear all the time Definitely. And and by the way, um, regarding the book, Care of the Racing and Retired Greyhound, I know so many people who often br- um, purchase it as a gift for their vets because, you know, depending on where you live and what areas you are, maybe not all vets are 100% up to every little thing that can go wrong with a greyhound. And I know we, Rory and I, have purchased one for our vet and uh, the associates in the in the practice. And they've used it many times when sometimes they're just scratching their head going, what could this be? And the book definitely has the answer. So mm. thanks to you and, and the other doctors for... Doctor, doctor, doctor. Doctor, 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 yeah. uh, for putting the, getting everything together and, and getting the book out right. for us all. Well, and before we kind of wrap up today, I did want to kind of address the one thing um, with the with the cocaine and greyhounds. And there was one person saying that he, he believed it was being done to impact the races. And um, Dr. Craig, when we saw you there in Abilene, you did have that video with the, the dog that had cocaine in it. And yeah, you could see the impact on it. But with a racing greyhound, could you kind of explain how it maybe wouldn't work for the greyhounds because of all the time that the from the time they're turned over to the state to the time they race? So you have to look. <laughs> now we're talking about drugs. Yeah. So we know that we take an aspirin every three to four hours. Why do you take an aspirin every three to four hours? Because if you take one, it takes about 30 seconds, and if we, 30 seconds to distribute through your body once it's absorbed. Now it takes a little bit longer to absorb it through your stomach, but if you injected it into your bloodstream, it takes that 30 seconds to distribute. Then that drug action 
acts for about three hours, and that's usually called the half-life. And if you go to four, five, or six hours later, what happens is uh, the pain comes back and breaks through that uh, what that non-steroidal anti-inflammatory does at that particular point. And so you have to take another aspirin to build the, the blood levels back up again. So we all know to take aspirin three times a day, basically, um, if you want to stop this theoretical headache or backache or what it is that you're dealing with at that particular point. So, so now let's go to cocaine. You have to look at cocaine's half-life, and it's very short, uh, 20 minutes or so. And so now how long does a cocaine high last? Well, it's 20 minutes, half an hour, but you want to have another fix somewhere between a half an hour and an hour later. I hear the squeaky, uh, we're getting done with it, but half-life is the key to it, and and it doesn't last very long, and the dogs are usually an hour in um, ensconced before they ever can race, so I'm not sure that the blood levels would be high enough, but no one's done a real functional test like we did with caffeine and procaine, uh, and so those sort of science need to be done to answer a black and white question right. like that, Roy. Well, we, we need maybe need to do a study of the effects of caffeine on uh, internet radio hosts. And <laughs> <laughs> we didn't get to bed until two a.m. <laughs> uh, I'm actually surprised I'm still still alive, but I'm still awake here today. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you've definitely you've uh, you've given our listeners, I think, some great information today, and I think uh, you know we'll definitely have to have you back on at some point in time to further discuss this. And again, I do want to remind our listeners, if in the future, if you keep uh, if you want to help uh, keep Greyhounds Make Great Pets show going, we do promise that in the future, if some issue comes up, we will immediately change up the show for Friday and make sure we get experts on to talk about the particular issue. Um, so, to, so to help you. Uh, out there as you battle on Facebook and other places. <laughs> Definitely. Dr. Craig, you've got a minute. Do you have anything you feel you need to add real quick? you got the floor. Um, I don't think so. You know, I, I really would like to leave that science should come into answering yep. some of these questions that get into such emotional social area. Listen to the scientists, the experts. The professionals. Not the activists. Um, not those dealing on emotion. Listen to what science and the experts tell you. Well, it's, thank you. That was, we're going to have to follow that from now on, both of us. Well, I mean, think about it, anyone. Even if they were hearing it at the commission or you're hearing it in, in court, you're going to have to listen to the experts and not go with what somebody's emotion might be calling you into. And with that, I'd like to thank our engineer, Aaron, our producer, Tacey, our guest, Dr. Maury Craig. Everyone, I want to remind you, Hug the hounds of the world. Have a great weekend, everyone. Howl! Thank you for listening this week to Greyhounds Make Great Pets. Please join your hosts, Rory Goray, TJ Beater, and Kathy Goray for another edition of our program next Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a wonderful week.